My name is Aaron McManus, and you are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. I'm here with my dad, Erwin McManus. Here's the thing. You were, your trip has gone canceled two weeks in a row. You're supposed to be gone, so we keep pre-recording this, and now we're just getting ahead. I was supposed to be on the East Coast in Greenville, South Carolina for the launch of Studio Church with uh, Eric No, Johnson. it's not Studio Church. I'm sorry. You, you yeah, uh, no, no, it's not. It. No, it's good. Leave this in. No, leave this no, in. No. I no. just did what everyone did does. Everybody does. I wanted to edit it out. Mosaic Church. <laughs> no, no. Yes, you did it. We got it. <laughs> no, actually, it's funny because uh, Eric Johnson yeah. is launching studio, and he sent me his uh, original idea of uh, studio church, and I said, right. take church off of it, because studio would be the equivalent of church in that sense, yeah. and unless you're just going to call it church, church. And yeah, so it's yeah. called studio but I just slipped back into old school, calling, adding church we to hate everything. It. We hate it when people are like Mosaic LA or Mosaic Church. church. I'm like, no, we're just Mosaic. mosaic. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, That's so all it is. I was going to the East Coast, Greenville, South Carolina, to be with Eric Johnson at Studio, the launch. And last week- uh, Studio I was, Greenville. I was snowed out. And then yes. this week, I'm iced out. Yeah, you can't, you can't get in. So I'm going to celebrate the launch of Studio- Remotely. From balmy Los Angeles. From balmy Los Angeles, what is what's balmy? Oh, I see. It's about having a uh, plethora of words that you can choose from. Sure, but it, but now, but it, balmy. So that sound like like is that like lip balm or hand balm? Now, Brooke, wouldn't you say today is balmy? Yeah, pleasantly warm. Yeah, it's, today it's, is not pleasantly no, warm. No, Have you the, been outside? It's chilly, it's but cloudy it's, no, and but it's cold. cloudy and it's overcast and no. All right, no, it's not. Today feels like the East Coast or something. It's not yes. even, but not. I guess not the real East Coast. Oh, East Coast having snowstorms and it's like nine, nine degrees. It's it's cold. Oh my goodness, that. Um, I'm so sorry, Arturo. We're not coming to see you until spring. <laughs> that Buffalo Bills game that was six degrees above zero and a wind chill, wind chill factor of six or seven degrees below zero, yeah. or maybe even more. Yeah, they said. If you're out in the cold for 30 minutes, you would get frostbite. But these guys are playing football for three hours. I'm not sure how that works. I got invited to go skiing on the East Coast. And they were like, we're going to drive to Montreal and ski. And then they like told me it was negative 30. <laughs> and I was like, thank God I didn't go. Not because I'm not, I'm flattered by the invitation. I, it'd be so cool to see, this, to see the snow over there. But I would have been dead. But can There's you not enough on this body to keep me warm. <laughs> you have no body fat to protect you. Not from enough body fat. <laughs> I start eating. I start eating like as much Twix as I can until I get there. <laughs> but can you imagine how much it would hurt at thirty to below fall? when you fall or hit something, which I would, of course, do. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds terrible. Um, so here's the deal: we had church this last week at Mosaic, mm -hmm. and. It doubled overnight. In Hollywood. Where did these people come from? I don't know. It I doubled. mean, it just, it was just so exciting to see people just coming and coming and coming and coming and seeing people we've not seen in a long time and seeing people we've never met before. Incredible. And adding hundreds and hundreds of chairs, watching our few volunteers yeah. <laughs> trying to add enough seats for all the people that were surprising us. It was really a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. So then we had a staff meeting to follow and I sat in the staff meeting mm -hmm. and and mom came. That was a very, that was very, she, she made a, an appearance, which was awesome. <laughs> always mother, makes me nervous. Kimmy, it always makes me so, she sat front row, which also made me so nervous. But she was like. By minutes, which is, which just baffles me because she gets up at like four in the morning. That means she was deciding whether she was coming or not. <laughs> 
<laughs> got caught in the not. I'm unsure. In the indecision. Yes. yes. Uncertainty of whether she's going to show up. So you talked a lot about fear and faith and leadership. Because we we were having this discussion of like, how do you even manage double in growth? Like, you know, we've had great numbers. People have been coming. It's been slow to come back. People have been really afraid. Then everyone in LA got Omicron, I felt like, over the holidays. Mm -hmm. And you had COVID. And you did too. But I had it during Thanksgiving. And I had it during Christmas. Yeah, you ruined Christmas. I ruined Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Mariah and Kim had it over New Year's Eve. But when you got it, it felt like, Everyone had it, not on our team necessarily, but like every friend I had, like everyone in LA, had everyone it. in LA, like every second person had Omicron. Yeah. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if one out of every 10 people had Omicron yeah. in LA. It was insane. Which is a very different reality from two years ago because I feel like I didn't know a single person who had it. That's true. During, during the, the, the initial the spread. initial spread of, of COVID, we almost knew no one yeah. who ever got no. COVID. Yeah. So it was kind of crazy, even, crazy. In, even in the middle of LA. In the middle, of, yeah. But, so, but you want you let's jump into the staff meeting a little bit. But we got. I, I was asked a question. Um, Who asked? By my it? wife. Oh, mom asked it. Yeah, your mom, and she said, "What do you do with leaders who still aren't showing up after two years? Showing up in person. In person, right? Showing up in person after two years." And I said, "You need to recognize the fact that they may be wonderful people, but they're not leaders. They're not your leaders anymore. Yeah, they're not your leaders anymore." Yeah. And and if they're not actually leading people and to lead people, you have to be present and you have to be engaged, you have to be connected. And, and it was hard because it's not a conversation I really wanted to have with my wife in front of all of our team. All the other people, <laughs> yeah. But we've had this conversation over the last two years. Yeah. Because early on, I could see the fear responses from different people. And uh, it's different when you have, um, let's say, um, a doctor who says, I can't come because I I face a high viral load every week and I don't want to infect other people. That's not a person who's um, staying away from the front lines. That's a person who's right on the front lines. Then a person who's so afraid saying, I just can't risk ever getting COVID and so I'm just not going to engage with human beings again, which we also have people who are there. Right. And, um, and they're not, you know, people who are... Um, highly vulnerable or anything like that. And, and, and I said, look, you have to respect wherever people are. That was the beginning point. Okay. But you don't lower your standards of leadership. Okay. And, and that's one of the tricky things is that, is that a person may say, hey, this is where I'm at in my life right now. These are the choices I think I need to make for me or for me and my family or whatever it is. And you respect that and go, I understand that. But you can't lead if you're going to actually make decisions that are hyper-cautious or that are even this, even driven by fear. And because certainly if any organization in the world is driven by faith and courage and servanthood, it's the church. And it's not that you're not um, wise. It's not that you don't uh, pay attention to the science and the data. And it's not that you are reckless. Um, but you also have to realize that people are being informed by different emotions. They're not just being informed by different pieces of data. I also think it's crazy that so many, like uh, I'll say so many Christians will go to sporting events and uh, they go to football events, but they won't. They go to basketball, football, but they won't go to church because it's too dangerous. Wait a minute. Is it that it's too dangerous to go to church or is that 
is that going to the basketball game has enough value for you and really going to church doesn't, in your mind, have enough value for your life. And again, that's a part of just recognizing where people are. I'm not even addressing where a person is in their journey. It's where they are in their journey in relationship to how much authority, influence, and responsibility they're giving in the church. I feel like there's there's a lot of conversations here, but mostly rooted in this idea that everyone has been divided. Because we said this, I think, right. post-staff meeting that, uh, oh, no, we said this in like our our what a different meeting with Lawrence in Seattle and some of our guys on a Zoom before mm-hmm. uh, before the, the staff meeting, basically that uh, our faith isn't what brings us together anymore. Mm. It used to be that we had a common faith or a mm-hmm. common um, uh, journey, right? right? We wanted to search for faith. We wanted to search for God. We wanted to go on mm-hmm. this faith journey together. Now it really isn't that anymore. It's, are you, do you believe in masks or do you not believe in masks? Do you believe in vaccines or no vaccines? It is where you stand in your politics. Because whether whether it's a viral load or not, it feels a bit like a. there's always an excuse to get you in or out of whatever you want to do. It, it is true that one of the things that's happened over the last two years is that politics has now learned how to paint in medicine and science. And Be more specific than that. Um, you could have a political position in the past and still have the same view about medicine or science or but now mass, I mean, I, I've literally, I literally know of people who are uh, more liberal who say, I don't believe in mass, but I'm not going to let people think I'm a Republican. And so I'm going to wear a mask yeah, it's because it? it's, it's a statement of uh, my political views. Yeah. And I think that there are people on the right who are also doing the same kind of thing that um, they now see this space as... Um, a political space. and Which space? Well, like if you're vaccinated, you're a liberal. If you're not vaccinated, you're a conservative. If you're, you know, yeah. and I'm going, no, there are a lot of Republicans who actually are vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, by the way, one of the groups that um, really is reticent about being vaccinated are black Americans. Right. I, I think that they're actually the, the highest population group percentage wise that has refused to be vaccinated. And most black Americans, I think, are Democrats. So, but no one ever brings it up. And I'm going, no, you see, it is. What does it have to do with the doctors? I want to talk about the doctors. No, no, what I'm saying is that. No, no, what does it do with the doctors? They've been trying to make, it seems like our our society, our media has been trying to make everything political. And that's why you don't actually paint the true picture. It's not just far right wing white supremacists who refuse to be vaccinated. There are also um, liberal black Americans who refuse to be vaccinated, but we're trying to act like everybody's in a different space. Right. And all I'm talking about is the yeah. doctors. No, with doctors, I'm saying, that's all I'm, no, no, I'm talking no, about no. this. No, cause I want to talk about specific things, not right. ge- like not, not generalizations. They're not generalizations. These things. are really important. I think distinctions that, um, people are, that we're being told everything is black and white and it's not. And with doctors, I know a lot of doctors who come to mosaic. I know a lot of doctors who, um, who don't come not because they're afraid, but because they they feel that they would endanger other people because they're around it so much. Okay. And I also know some doctors who are genuinely afraid of getting COVID and uh, and they've redirected their lives, even in the medical field. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I, and so I, but I, I don't think doctors are the issues here. That's there's just, I'm not saying that the issue, I'm just, it's just, <laughs> this is just the issue at hand is the conversation no, we're having instead. The, the, the conversation at hand is, when you're leading an organization, you have to have a standard for leaders. 
Okay. It doesn't matter where it's a church or a business or whatever. Okay. And, um, and while you don't get to dictate a person's choices as a citizen of a country, right. um, in your organization, you do have to decide what are the requirements to lead. And so if a person says, hey, I just can't risk going outside, you need to say, hey, that's, that's a choice you have to make, but you, you can't be in leadership if you're going to still be completely isolated three years later and not interacting, engaging with people. Right. And so the conversation for me is different. It's not about a person's personal choice. It's about what is required to lead. I, I mean, can you imagine me right, being- Right, but your personal yeah. choices, I guess the, the sum of your personal choices dictate whether you're uh, able to lead or even are that, in the conversation to lead, right? That's the whole point. No, is, I know, but you're saying it, it's not about personal choices, but it actually is about no, personal choices. No, I'm saying is that um, you can be- a part of Mosaic's community and still be um, online. You can, you can be online and you're part of Mosaic's community, but you can't be a leader at Mosaic and See, uh, by that, only being online. And this is like where it's a whole new world, right? Yeah. Because it's like, they're obviously not, the, so the doctors that we're talking mm -hmm. about, which I don't even know who we're talking about. I just know that there's doctors on her team. So I'm not, there's no individual judgment. There's not even a mass judgment. It's mostly just like this idea of, there's there's leaders who won't come in anymore because mm -hmm. they feel like they can't, and and it's like this conversation of of are they still leaders? Can you can they lead online? Because now they're only online people. So you know how do you one how do you lead in a new world? Mm -hmm. How do you manage? Because because this is just one side of it, right? We have the other side of it where there's people who are like, and these are. We have friends of ours and people who are aren't. We have people who've moved. The moment this everything locked down, like we're getting out of here. They're like, if 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 they make if the government makes our 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 children get vaccinated, we're out of here. And we were talking about it's like this is the spectrum. We have we have both sides of it going. Right. Like, but then how do you put either side in leadership? Okay. Like, yeah. Let me flip it upside down. We have people who have said uh, very clearly, if the state of California mandates that my small children have to be vaccinated we're moving from California. And we're already seeing families leave California, moving to other states, because while they have been vaccinated as adults, they uh, do not feel as a parent, it's the best decision for their five-year-old or for their eight-year-old, and um, or even for their 12-year-old. Uh, and, and so I'm going, okay, that's a decision you've got to make as a parent. And, but when you move, obviously, unless you're going to start a campus in that city for Mosaic or something, um, you're no longer really qualified to lead because you've left. And, um, and so I, in some sense I go, hey, if you're one of our leaders, you're moving to another state, there's a part of me that goes, I don't blame you. you yeah, know? Take and, me with you. Because this is, is getting kind of insane over here. But at the same time, uh, like if you want to stay engaged, then start something where you're at and and create something new yeah definitely we have spaces for that right yeah. but like i guess the conversation still is are they leaders or not are they a good investment as well because mm -hmm. like it's not it's different right it's not a good investment as they're great humans mm -hmm. on both spectrums but it's like can you have either side really leading like we're now in like this space where it's like the radicals become irrelevant because you can't really invest because they're not really helping they're they're doing they're they're busy Mm -hmm. being radicals, <laughs> you know, either leaving the state or not showing up on Sunday. 
Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have, and, and it's, you know, attendance isn't required, but it's helpful. Presence mm-hmm. is, is preferred. Right. And presence is a, is like a vital part of community, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was thinking about this because I was like, we went to go watch some movie called The Kingsman. Mm-hmm. It was like 50-50. It was like good, but it wasn't great. But there were mm-hmm. some good moments. But w- w- those moments like in war, when the guy who's your boss or the officer, the commanding officer dies, and then now you're the commanding officer. Mm-hmm. Like war doesn't have like a, a, I guess, a prerequisite for leadership skills. If you're just, if it just, if the whole top half of the ladder gets blown up, it's now just you. And I do feel like, we were talking about this with our teams, you know, we have so many amazing people, but so many young people who've never done the role they're doing before (laughs) ever, Yeah, you know? And so there's, there is this like, and it is this odd thing of like the leaders who were before are are uninterested Mm -hmm. or they're not in the space or they've moved or they've gotten a new job and they're not able to help in the same way before. So it's, it's, it does feel like a wartime effort right? Like you're taking the middle of who's left and going, we're going to build leadership into you. But we're also building cultural um, standards based on the people who are most fearful. I mean- How so? Well, look at education. Uh, You know, there are just masses of um, teachers and unions are saying, we're not going to go back into the classroom and be endangered. And I'm like- um, Yeah. California canceled schools all of January, right, Brooke? Oh, let me check on that. At for least you. your preschool. Some schools did. Some schools. Yeah, so, my my school had to age out my son's group because they were so short of staff. Yeah. Jeez. So I guess the question is, do you then set new standards based on the most cautious teachers, or do you go find individuals who have a um, a higher resilience and capacity for risk and say we need teachers who are willing to be in the classroom? But there's still going to be like a a period of time where that teacher who's willing mm-hmm. doesn't know how to teach. Well, maybe. no, I think we have probably, I, well, maybe. I don't think I, so. I, I, I'm hoping we have lots of qualified teachers out there. Well, I think and, the issue with that is unions, I think, because I think right. there are lots of teachers who would go back to work. Yeah. But then there's lots of teachers going, it doesn't make sense. Like how often kids get sick are going to get me sick and it right. just doesn't What work. happens is the language goes, oh, we want to protect the kids, but actually it's not about that. It's about no, protecting it's the teachers. Them. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so you have to ask yourself, are we going to move to the place in our society where every rule, every regulation, every law, every mandate is based on the highest level of fear and the highest level of caution? Right. You know, because even back when the pandemic really exploded, um, you guys were not allowed to go surfing. They it, the it was against down. the law to go surfing. No, but you could golf. Yeah, and I'm going, is it because the people creating the laws like golfing, but they're not surfers because they're kind of older white men? And, well, I mean, I, I found it, I just you know, found it so hypocritical that you have all these country clubs in LA because there's a whole thing about yeah. well, how there's no big parks in Los Angeles, but there's all of these country clubs in every yeah. part of the city. And that, that those were open. Yeah, there's private green space in LA, but, but almost they, no but public green They took green the hoops space. off the public basketball courts. Right. So we can't go play basketball with our friends outdoors during the pandemic. Right. But you could still go golfing in your private country club. With your friends. So we have to basically at least ask the question, is this really based on science? How does a person go surf, surfing in the ocean and somehow endanger the whole society? Yeah, it's very interesting. But you can march and protest with tens of thousands of people 
and it's never questioned as dangerous to the society. It's very interesting. Even though I don't want to get into that part. No, I'm I, I, I'm just saying, uh, and that's not what we're talking about today. Um, we're trying to talk about something super specific. No, we're actually talking about <laughs> whether our decisions are based on fear. Well, really, we were just talking about doctors. No, you were talking about doctors. No, you brought it up. No. Yes. I was asking the question about are people still qualified to lead if they're not ready to step into the public world again? Okay. It, and so yes or no? My answer is no. Okay. That um, you can't be the last to step forward and be a leader. Even if you're on the front lines with medical stuff. No, I consider them actually frontline leaders. And, um, and I, I find very few of them actually afraid to engage for their own lives, but concerned for other people. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's tough, right? Because it's such a niche team. Like they work on something, they work on very specific things. Yeah. And it is, and it is hard. And I do find though, that most, I mean, a lot of people are willing to come back. Mm-hmm. But, uh, or are interested in coming back and being here in person, but the value of it has decreased. Mm-hmm. Like there isn't this high value for, for being in church or being in a religious space or being in a faith space and definitely not to serve. Right. I mean, we were just at the playoff game for the Rams. Yeah, it was great. Amazing. But I'm watching, I don't know how many people that stadium holds. But it's like 80,000, I think. I mean, I, I saw so 80,000 people and I almost didn't see anyone wearing a mask. No, it was, it was crazy. Even though the, the sign kept coming up on um, the, um, the yeah, giant yeah. billboard yeah, yeah. Uh, that you, you know, you're required to wear a mask. I didn't see really anyone wearing a mask and 80,000 people. Yeah. I don't think. Unless they were, actively eating. Yeah, active, they were eating said, the I'm, whole I'm three and a half hours. <laughs> and, uh, Every 30 seconds of this game. <laughs> and I just like to be entertained, we're willing to risk our lives. Right. And, but to, um, to become the church again and to serve the world, yeah. we seem to be more apprehensive. Yeah. And, um, and to educate our kids, we seem to be incredibly apprehensive. And, um, and, and so I, I just think that we need to be aware that data is never objective. Data is informed by our internal world. If we are driven by fear, we see the data differently. When we're driven with courage, we see the data differently. It doesn't mean that one's more educated or less educated, or one's ignoring it and one's actually paying attention to it. What you're bringing to the data is what you're going to get out of it. Years ago, I wrote a book called Soul Cravings. And in Soul Cravings, I actually talked about how when you are in community, you are less likely to be violent. Hmm. When you're disconnected from community, you are more likely to be violent. And in fact, I, I make an argument that disconnection becomes the environment for violence against other people, that you have to see someone as them to be violent against them. When you see someone as us, you, won't, you will not be violent against them. And what we're having in our society is we have the loss of community across our nation because we have the isolation. So an inclusive community, not an exclusive community. Right. Because the, right, the, like the argument would also say that, that most bad things happen from bad community. Because they have a, a distinct us against them narrative. So if, you, if everyone is us, then there's no one to be violent against. Right. Like if you're for all of humanity, 
you're not going to justify your, your act of violence. There's very few places like that. Yeah, if no, any, I know. I don't, maybe none exist. But but I'm looking at it as, as a spectrum. And what's happened in our society is the massive isolation, the disconnection from each other, I think has been the context for out-of-control violence in our society. I mean, we have more violence right now in every major city in America than we've ever had, I think, in modern history. Hmm. And uh, and to actually think that this, this, this pandemic of violence is disconnected from the loss of community is naive. So when, when I talk about getting people back into community, I'm not fighting for my legal right to do church or have church or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually fighting for what humans actually need. Yeah. Humans need community and connection for mental health. Yeah. They need it for, for emotional wellness. Yeah, yeah. And we actually need community to, to eliminate the worst actions of human beings like violence. Right. And uh, I mean, the, the level of crime in our city is, is insane. It's insane. Uh, I mean, we, we have theft taking place at a level that we've just never seen. LA, it, it, it looks like a Blade Runner city. Yeah, and uh, it's crazy. The it, woman, it, you know, uh, post- young girl got killed on my on my street. Yeah, it's it's on horrible. Yeah, and what we are not factoring in is that while we're fighting a virus, we have basically left unprotected all the other walls that protect the human spirit. We have to we have to fight against loneliness and despair and depression. We have to fight against mental illness and. And uh, we have to fight for community and health. And we're not doing that right now. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, it feels like so many of the major cities are at a massive, in a massive deficit, um, which is crazy to think that we're so privileged as a society, right? And mm-hmm. as a community. And yet uh, there's still so much work that needs to be done to get people help, get people, help, not only to get people help, but also to make the streets safe. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a nightmare right now. Mm-hmm. There was a, you know, there's a young girl that was, that was killed in a shop, broad yeah. daylight by herself. 24 year old. Super young. young. Yeah. yeah. Like she was at UCLA. I want to, I, I believe. And, and God came in, guy came in, stabbed her, left. It's just so sad. Right. And it's, and I, we don't talk about it to like, I guess to, 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 to cause fear. I have friends who are moving to LA and they're like nervous. They're very, and I'm, yeah. I'm like, look, you just have to be real. They tell us to every guy or girl who moves here mm-hmm. you ha- you're moving to a city you have to be aware like at all times when you're yeah. walking into your car when you're getting out of your house when you're walking into a store you you don't like just turn it off you have to always be aware and not like a hyper vigilance awareness but also just you know just underneath that <laughs> like in a vigilant way semi-vigilant yeah and but i um the conversation we were actually having in our team was about um, about leadership and developing leaders and moving people toward the best version of themselves. Right. And because that's what we have to be committed to is um, is calling people to the most heroic, courageous, honorable, noble, generous version of themselves. And we can't give up on that. And and I I, I think what we th- we thought is that if we if we just put the world on hold for two years, people would come back the same that they went in, but it's not true. No, we're not the same people. No, and and we're not better. We're getting no, worse. We're worse. We're definitely worse. Yeah. I'm worse. And, I'm not better. To and, think the version of, <laughs> no, I like, it's not even funny. Like the, and I know you're not laughing at me. I'm saying like, it's not funny. I mean, it's a joke. Like to, the version of me two years ago, I'm like, who was that person? I like, I miss that person. I'm not that person anymore. 
So it's like, is it worth even trying to get back or do you just have to go start new? Well, you, you need to fight for the, the better version of you, the yeah. new version of you. And that's why what we do is important. It, uh, it frustrates me when people, even Christians, make it so um, superficial as we have the right to worship. <clears throat> and I'm like, this can't be simply a battle for our political right to worship. We are supposed to be fighting for humanity, for humanity's future, for their well-being, for their health. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I'm fighting for. So when I see people flooding into Hollywood this past week, I'm excited because I realize most of these people have lost so much ground yeah. and we're going to be able to help them get yeah. back on track. And that's shocked? exciting for me. Yes, I was shocked. I mean, shocked. I'd love to say I was so full of faith that I just knew that we're going to, you know, have yeah. that kind of squall of people. Um, it is but, it is really hard to like we, we've been talking about this right and I, if you feel like attacked by us as, as someone in a part of mosaic or a part of battle ready or whatever it, we're, we're just we're just talking we're having conversations there's no judgments here it's just you know we're, we're, we're bringing things to light um but i do think it's harder for families to come back it is because, because so many like, families feel frustrated well no but i also yeah. think like if your kid gets covid then you're out for two weeks and then you're having to work and watch your kid if you work at home. And if you don't work at home, you're having to go to work or take two weeks off to be with your kid. So then it becomes this like catch 22 or just this, this endless cycle of my kid's going to get sick because he's going to go to school. And then if he, but then if he goes to church then there's another factor. And so it's like, what's, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Cause I don't know what I would do as a parent. I mean, I know what you would do as a parent. <laughs> I would never go to school. I would never be in school this entire time. But it's complicated, right? It, it is and because a lot of parents have told me, hey, we would love to get fully engaged. We just can't risk missing any more work if our kids are not allowed to go to school. Right. And, and right now, it's not even if you, your, your child gets COVID. It's like if your child has a runny nose or if your child has a sore throat, any if your child has any symptom. Right now, we've become... Brooke? I had, a I had a question for you. All right. Question. But I didn't mean to interrupt your thought. Well, yeah, no, just my, my closing thought is right now, if your child gets any symptom, mm -hmm. they're out, right? Yeah, it's a zero tolerance policy for sickness. Which, in what world was that ever true? No, it was like, be sick, okay. No, every toddler is sick all the time. That was like the joke growing up. It's like, I'm going to see how much time I can get in the nurse's office. <laughs> I'm trying to get a break. I'm trying to get 15, kiss my breath. You know, And you then it was like, thing. okay, you'll be okay. Now go back. And, you know, you just went. You didn't go home unless you were bleeding or throwing up. And even then, it's like, can you rally? Yeah, can you, can you puke and rally? Just swallow it. Yeah. You'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not an artery, we can bandage them. Like, I, I mean, school, I was listening to a, a great debate. Oh, I wish you had listened to this thing too. I got to send it to you. Say it. What? Rick oh, has a question. Do you have a question? Yeah, but you got so excited about your debate. It's fine. I'll talk about it later. Um, what you were saying about how... Logistically, it's so difficult for parents. Mm -hmm. And Erwin, I mean, Aaron, you said earlier, I thought it was interesting that the, our teams now have so many young people who've mm -hmm. never done what they're doing. Right. And it's almost like all of these restrictions and regulations, they're creating like this lost generation of 30s and 40s year old, 40 year olds who've served faithfully at church and now due to whatever reason yeah. are like being pulled out. And you have all these young people stepping in. And what is the church losing 
by like not being able to engage with that age group like it was before? Or what's going to happen when all these people come back and they're serving under a 23-year-old <laughs> who had nothing to lose it's by crazy. coming to church every week? I mean, at this rate, Michael Schultz can be the executive pastor. <laughs> Michael Schultz, how old is Michael Schultz? How old is Michael? 22 now. 22. But he, you know, but it's also like, I look at the I look at the young guys, young men and women who are in that age group who aren't afraid, who show up and like are faithful, and then they get sick, they take a week off, and then they come back. They're just a different level of resilience, right? They're the people who who have kind of survived this thing. And when people are like, "Were you scared?" They're like, "What are you talking about?" Resilience and responsibility. Well, faithfulness, because some could say that you're being you're being irresponsible to come to church. Yes. Yes. Who you've been told that too? You've been told that, sorry. Yeah, that we're being irresponsible by having people come back. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and like not mandate masks. This always turns into a COVID talk. I'm not mad about it, but it does. We talk about it a lot. But it isn't the conversation I wanted to have. It's the conversation that uh, we're almost like obligated to have. Yeah, because everything we want to talk about, whether it's leadership, whether it's creativity, whether it's business, whether it's entrepreneurship. Um, whether well, it's church, whether it's relationships, everything's right. in the context of this world that we're living in right now. And that was Mariah's point, right? Because at one point in the staff meeting, she goes, hey, can we please just stop talking about COVID? And just move on. <laughs> and I was like, how? She's like, stop getting tested. Let's just stop finding out. <laughs> she's kind of not wanted, she's even not wanting to be quoted by that. She didn't say that. I, I'll, she didn't say I it. Said you that. said it. Brooke said it. Um, <laughs> I it, And that is, it's a really interesting thing, right? Like, yeah, do, you know that's what Florida's doing. They're just saying like, don't get tested. Just if you're sick, just stay home and get better and come mm -hmm. back. You know. Well, now we've become a culture where we just are testing each other every day. You know. And, and what do you mean that like <laughs> emotionally? What do you want to talk about? So, Brooke, your yeah. question was, what are we losing in this new, like, lost generation of young parents mm -hmm. who are navigating schools and restrictions? because they're not the leaders we've invested in the past 10 or 15 years who were going to be the next wave of leaders in the church. And now they're gone or they're not coming back. Are they lost or are they hidden? Because that was your conversation mm -hmm. in staff, like hiding in the cave. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of them are there, and but they're hiding in fear. And... Um, you know, it's interesting. There's several scenarios in the scriptures in the Old Testament where the like the people of Israel didn't know they had more people than they had. You know, there's one there's one moment where it says that some of them were hiding in caves, living like animals. Others had gone to fight for the other side because they feared the other side was going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and so I think we're in one of those moments right now where. There are going to be some people who are going to be courageous and they're going to pave the way to the, for the future. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, um, whether you like it or not, uh, those people are the ones that you think are being reckless and, um, and, right. uh, or, or maybe they're just not paying attention to science. I mean, I was just in a room with a thousand business people and they were all working together to build companies, to create income, to generate wealth. And while other people are going to go, hey, I, I'm just going to live in neutral or I'm going to take unemployment or I'm going to just be unemployed for a while. These people are going to create wealth. It's going to be disproportionate. And then you're, you're going to wonder, wait a minute, what advantage do they have that I didn't have? The advantage was in a moment where other people were afraid, they just took territory. Right. And 
and I think it's true even in the in the church where there there are people who are just they're in a sense relinquishing the influence and the um, effect that they should have in people's lives, and and I think that's sad because we needed them to be mentoring and investing yeah. in the future generation. Yeah. And I remember years and years ago, my, my brother Alex was here in LA. He had a, a Bible study in downtown LA with um, all these young actors and people in our uh, in our community. And, and he said, hey, I need someone to become my apprentice so I can train you how to lead this kind of group and you'll take over this group. Do I have a volunteer? And all these people, not one of them volunteered, Alex had invited this guy who wasn't yet a follower of Jesus, and the guy felt bad that no one was volunteering. <laughs> so he volunteered to lead the group and uh, came to faith really fast. And there, uh, so the next week, Alex came back and said, all right, he's my apprentice. He's going to lead the group when I stop leading the group. And one of the guys who was a, a Christian for a long time, he's actually a really famous writer in the industry, uh, said, well, that guy can't lead. He just gave his life to Jesus. I'll take the group. And Alex said, hey, you're welcome to become his apprentice mm -hmm. <laughs> because he stepped up first and mm -hmm. you were silent. Mm -hmm. And so if he chooses you, you can become his apprentice in the group. And uh, I just, I love this like- How'd that go? It actually, strangely <laughs> enough, went very well. <laughs> and, uh, because we were creating a culture that said, we're not gonna go with who's the most educated or the most experienced or the most seasoned. We're going to go with whoever steps up with the most courage and says, I'm not prepared. I'm not qualified. I'm going to do it. But I'm going to do it. Right. And movements are, are advanced by people, not with the most talent, ability, education, um, a resume. They're advanced by the people who have the most courage and they, and they refuse to be stopped. So what are your, what are your future predictions for, your, what are your predictions of the future when it comes to church, whether it comes to like the way that cities navigate? Do you think people are gonna flee the cities? I think people are, are, are already fleeing the cities. But I feel like LA got filled right back up. Like it's, it's definitely not less full than it used to be. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't feel like that anymore. LA's lost a lot of people and but LA is a city where there's always new people who come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and I've seen this in my 30 years here, uh, massive exodus. But there's uh, there there's always a new generation of right. young people with visions and dreams and yeah. and hopes that come here. Uh, but I don't know if that's true in every city because remember, no one could have ever imagined Detroit um, becoming a hollow shell of a city. Right, and it was the epicenter of industry and car manufacturing and and um and detroit didn't pay attention to the signs mm. and lost its future mm. and that can happen to any city in the world right and right now we have people who are flooding tennessee flooding texas flooding colorado flooding florida flooding idaho idaho and um and they probably don't want those two people <laughs> but, no but they're getting them yeah and Though there's going to be a new flourishing in those cities mm -hmm. and in those states. Um, and so I, I wouldn't, it, it's happened before. Remember, Rome was the center of the universe. Until it and, wasn't. Until it wasn't. Right. It, you know, Italy was the most powerful empire on the planet, and now it's just a boot. Rome, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I mean, the Roman Empire, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. now there was a time where, you know, France was a global power with Napoleon, and you can, and you realize the, the landscape of the world, it does shift. 
Yeah. So we're, we live in a world where we think, oh, New York, LA, you know, London, they're always going to be the most powerful cities in the world. Well, that's not history proves that that's not always the case. Right. Right. And, and, and so one of the things I think is the, the future belongs to the bold. Hmm. It always has and it always will. And, uh, you know, even in our South Pasadena campus, we still have like 20 senior adults who are probably all over 80 years old who come every, every week, single week. Yeah. They're there, rain or shine. And, um, and I'm looking, they're in the highest probability of, you know, of contracting COVID in a really dangerous, at a dangerous level. Yeah. And yet they're there every week. Nothing is stopping them. So maybe we should look at some of these senior adults and go, uh, we need to um, get an IV of their courage, right? you know, of their faith, of their intention. And they meet together as a Bible study every week, and then they come so into the great. gathering every single week. And they're wonderful. And, and, and I just, I, if you're a 22-year-old and you step up with courage and faith, I have um, a question. You're going you're gonna to become... A future leader. You are. You are. Yeah. yeah. I have a question. Yeah. What do you do? Like, I feel like this is a scenario. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to come, but my wife is too afraid for our kid. Or wife, I want to come, but my husband's too scared for our kid. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and we, both of those scenarios are scenarios. I actually know people. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, we were standing in the back lobby because someone tried mm -hmm. to bring their dog into church. And that was all, that's always like a fun experience. Um, and the, uh, we were, we, I was talking with Eric and then mm -hmm. we met a family and they're really sweet. Um, and with your friend, Eric Roy, Eric Roy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and they were, and the mom was like walking with, I mean, she, the baby had to have been one years old mm -hmm. and Eric has an 18 month, um, daughter named Rooney. And, um, he was like, Hey, we have a really great kids program. Like you, you know, you should, you should check it out. Like, I think your kid would love it. She's like, oh, he's a pandemic baby. Um, and he's like, what do you mean? Like, like he doesn't like people. Like, he's like, really nervous. He's a pandemic. He's like, oh, yeah, so so is mine. And she's like, oh, when was she born? And he was like, oh, March 26th of 2020. Like, <laughs> At the birth of the, the pandemic. Day, uh, two weeks after. <laughs> and she was like, oh. And he, she's like, and she's fine? And she's like, she has to like, we have to get tell her to like chill on hugging people because she's so social. So I think we, <laughs> we put in these kind of like mental blocks and barriers. Yeah. But how do we break through them? And also I want to ask, like, what do you do with like the husband and wife thing? Can you do anything? Or is it just better <laughs> to just be like, okay, we love you. Just be friends. Let's stay friends. Yeah. You know, so I don't know why, but I had this image of uh, these M&Ms that you put into a... a a bottle, a prescription bottle of really dangerous pills. Right. And you don't realize if you open them up, the M&Ms are just really tasty and there's right. nothing wrong with them. Like it's, it's like defining our child as a pandemic baby. Right. Because you're now defining, you're now putting the warning label on your child saying, this human. Warning, my kid's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> warning, my, my kid doesn't do well with humans. Yeah, it doesn't you know, play well with others. I, I, I don't know if, if people are aware of this, but um, there is no other species on this planet that you're going yeah, to need yeah. as much as a human being. And uh, and I have talked to parents who have said to me, my child has never met another child. And and they're now going to three That's years dangerous. old. Or, uh, it's so dangerous to have a child who's two, three, four years old that is not having social interactions with other children. 
I mean, look, I, I want you to learn math and English and science, but that's probably not what you're getting in preschool. You know, no, no, you're getting the alphabet. You know, you're not getting that in first or second grade, uh, although you're learning how to read. But the thing you're getting most is how to socialize with other human beings. Right. And and frankly, I think the number one determiner of success is usually emotional intelligence. Right. And if our children don't know how to have relational emotional intelligence, it's going to be a really challenging life for them. It really is. Because one day, so how, what do you tell junior them? high? No, but what do you tell them? Um, you need to get your kid around other kids. Do you say that to your friends? Oh yeah, absolutely. What do they say back? Well, you know, I'm I, trying. <laughs> I look at people um, like right. you know our friends Aaron and Haven, who who's you know, little girl, it was incredibly vulnerable to yeah. all kinds of, of issues and very fragile. And then when she had COVID, it was nothing. Yeah. She was really, she was really like, she was really protected. And, and so I what look you at tell them those and, I, and I think, wow. Well, no, what are the practical handles? One, well, the reason I bring them up is have the kind of courage and, and emotional and relational health that um, they have. Right. Realizing that the statistics show that the, there's almost zero danger for your children. Right. That the, the greatest danger is isolating your children and teaching them to live in fear. Because once you, in, once you ingrain fear into the psyche of a human being before they're six years old, you're not going to be able to extricate that fear out of who they are as a person. Mm. They're going to live the entire life paralyzed by fear. Mm. And Whatever the symptoms are of COVID, the likelihood that that will have a sustaining negative effect is so small in comparison to the lifelong effect of being raised afraid. Hmm. So interesting. So fascinating. And of being raised isolated and alone. Well, being alone is not good. No. We love our doctors. We love our church. We love our podcast. We love people getting to hang out in person. Like really in person, I think there's such a value for it, right? Yeah, and and I want to hear people. What I, what I want people to hear me say is, I'm not saying the world is safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I'm saying yeah. the world is dangerous. Yeah, and you need to accept that and step into life with courage, just like before the pandemic. Well, that was a part of the the staff, right? Like someone someone asked, "Can you just tell them it's safe now?" Yeah, and you said, I, "There's it's impossible." And I said, it's "I more, never said it was safe. It was never it wasn't safe before." Yeah. So to think it's safe now is ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's more dangerous now. You have to have more faith and more risk, and more yeah. willing and more bravery, more willingness to, to 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 put yourself at risk to go do something, to do anything. Yeah, and I've seen this so many times before. I saw this with the AIDS crisis. I saw this with Y two K at the mm. year two thousand. Yeah. I saw it after nine eleven. Right. Um, a, a an overwhelming percentage of humans will live by fear. And all they need is one event, one experience, uh, one factor to justify the fear that they um, feel comfortable with. Right. And in all those situations, I always called people to rise above the fear, to live a life of faith and courage. So I'm being consistent. Mm. And, uh, and because um, what science cannot do for you is give you courage. And that's a fact. And that is a scientific fact. fact. <laughs> and, uh, and what you have to decide is um, what kind of life are you going to live? Right. Yeah. How are you going to live it? How are you going to raise your kids to live it? And um, the generation that refuses 
to live in fear, who lives by faith and courage, who uh, d- decides to be resilient, to have grit and determination, uh, they're going to own the future. So if I were an investment banker in the future, I'd say the future is wide open. Uh, the future is wide open for everyone who wants to have the courage to go create it. I think we're going to end there. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Battle Ready Podcast. Uh, we're really grateful for every person who uh, checks this out, listens, and watches on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. There's a bunch of other ones that I was reminded that people check them out. And and if you have, you know, you're on Google, or I don't even know the other ones that you that you can check it out. But we 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 are streaming everywhere. Just you know, stick your phone up into the air, and you'll catch it. Uh, but check it out. Uh, rate and review this podcast. Let us know what you think. Uh, leave your thoughts in the comments on Instagram and on YouTube. And we're really grateful. We're going to try to get back to you. So uh, check out our TikTok. We don't have anything up there yet, but we're going to get stuff up there soon. <laughs> All right. See you guys next week. Thank you.